Welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm Colin Parker, one of your hosts. And I'm James Anderson, one of your other hosts. On the show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. <laughs> wow. I watched um, the self-doubt happen. I was like, I want the things I want to say, I've already said, and I can't think of anything else. So, uh, do you want me to hit that again, or can you, are you good on editing? Oh, I'm good on just letting that one be. Oh, great. Yeah, it's great. I love when we butcher intros because I think it's fun and it shows people that we're people too. I lost it. Oh, geez. All right. Oh, geez. I guess we're going to start over. over. All right. To my co host, what is your name? No. Okay. (laughs) So. My name is Robert Redford. Uh, I am ready to bring in our guest because we just watched Red Skull burn, baby, burn. And uh, there is not a lot left in this movie, at least not in this time period. So let's uh, let's talk about that. Uh, Let's talk about that ending, shall we? Let's let's bring our guest in Travis from Marvel Events Timeline. Yep. Okay, let me open the door. Hang on one second. Here we go. Hey, Travis, welcome to the studio. Hello there. <laughs> so glad you could make it. Uh, so sorry that we made you wait in the uh, waiting room for the last couple of episodes, but hopefully you understand. I mean, we had to get some some other scenes out of the way, and so uh, yeah. thank you for waiting for a couple of days. Hey, thanks for the water and the saltines. I mean, that's a- you oh, got I into that? Authorized yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess, you know, I'll ask for forgiveness, story. not, you know, permission or whatever. Not salt uh, So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just realized that the myth here is that Travis survived entirely on saltines and water. What a what a sad uh, <laughs> couple of days you had in, in our office. <laughs> you know, just we walked out every day going, all right, see you in a couple yeah, of days. Yeah, Travis. it was so you awkward when you go guys home. would just pass by, not even, you know. <laughs> Like it's fine. Right. I'll just, I'll just wait. Teams. It's fine. Yeah. At, at night we go. Hey, there is a motion detector, by the way. So I hope you went don't to the bathroom. move. Because if 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 I had to come back here in the middle of the night, I swear to God, you're gonna you're gonna want to replace these chairs. Ooh, Ooh boy. Yep. Gross. Well, or special oh. surprise. <laughs> oh, Joe, Jesus. Uh, let's get to the scene in question, though, shall Great. we? We're already yes. in the office. We're ready to go. We're born to go. Travis is hyped up on saltines and free water. So let's get down to it. Previously on Timeline Scavengers, the Red Skull and Captain America tussle for the fate of the world. In the end, Red Skull cannot actually harness the power of the gods as he picks up the Tesseract, begins to burn, and disappears. Before I even do my notes, I'm just now realizing, so we've recorded that scene... Before we recorded this, yeah, obviously, I genuinely don't remember if I ever mentioned this, but in the very beginning of the movie, when he takes that Tesseract, the guy who plays Filch in the Harry Potter movies, who's yeah, the yeah. guy who's David Bradley. the guardian, yeah, he yeah. tells him to his face, you know, you're like, you're, you'll burn. Yeah. Right? He's like, you know, you're not supposed to be using that, like, you'll burn. And he's like, huh, oh, right. It's yeah. like, I can harness the power of the gods. And then he... In the end, we were told the answer at the beginning of the film. Uh, let's get to this scene. This is Captain America, the first Avenger, from one hour, 45 minutes and 10 seconds, to one hour, 48 minutes and 46 seconds. 
This one's a heavy one. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you know if even hearing this scene described makes you teary eye or misty eye or whatever, have some tissues ready. Because no matter how many times I've watched this scene, even while writing this, I actually was like, oh, oh God. I had to like hmm. stop for a second. I got a little choked up. Hmm. So here's what happens. The hot, hot, hot tesseract falls to the floor and it burns away through the bottom of the plane, falling into the ocean below. I like that part because he, Steve just watches it and then you hear the... Yeah. Nope. I guess there's a little bit of whistle. Of like the just the air flowing by. He's like, dude, yeah. it got chilly. Um, so uh, the ship is damaged and the snow and Arctic air is billowing through the cockpit. Rogers picks up the shield. He left it on the ground, like you mentioned, and brings it to the pilot seat with him. He realizes that it's on a crash course for New York by looking at a computer screen, which does not freak him out. See, had that in my notes. Back to back at the base, Phillips and Carter are in the air traffic control portion of the whole thing. And come in, this is Captain Rogers. Do you read me? Marita says, Captain Rogers, what is your Carter rushes over and cuts him off. Steve, <laughs> is that you? Are you all right? Marita knows and gets up. Philip stays where he is, crossing his arms, waiting. Peggy, Schmidt's dead. What about the plane? That's a little bit tougher to explain as he's looking around at things that he clearly does not understand. So, of course, it's harder to explain. Marita and Phillips stand over her shoulder. Give me your coordinates. I'll find you a safe landing site. Steve sees that there are still six active bombs on the Valkyrie. There's not going to be a safe landing. Phillips pauses, taps Marita, and points out the door, and the two of them leave. Steve continues, but I can try and force it down. Peggy falters. I'll get Howard on the line. He'll know what to do. There's not enough time. This thing is moving too fast, and it's heading for New York. I've got to put her in the water. Peggy, with a waver in her throat, says, Please don't do this. We have time. We can work it out. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. If I wait any longer, then a lot of people are going to die. There's a beautiful shot of the plane flying over nothing lost in the world. Peggy, this is my choice. She knows he's right. Tears well up in her eyes. He pulls out his compass with her photo and puts it on the dashboard in front of him, and then dips the nose of the plane. Peggy, I'm here. He breaks through the clouds and sees the ice and water before him. I'm going to need a rain check on that dance. Crying, she tells him, All right, a week next Saturday at the Stork Club. You got it. Eight o'clock on the dot. Don't you dare be late, understood? You know, I still don't know how to dance. She laughs and says tenderly, I'll show you how. Just be there. We'll have the band play something slow. The surface quickly approaches. We cut to Peggy as he says, I'd hate to step on your... Radio static. A crying Peggy calls out to him multiple times. Phillips in the hall sees her devastated, and his heavy heart shows as he lowers his head. She calls to Steve once more. Phillips turns to walk away to give her some space, and most likely to grieve as well. The final shot of this scene is the plane 
half submerged, slowly sinking into the depths of the snow and water below, leaving next to no trace behind. I hope the listeners can hear the goosebumps on my arms. It's, 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 uh, I mean, like, even just now, like, acting out Peggy's part, I kind of had to, like, skip over some of the pauses because I was like, if you try to think about her face and her reaction, Mm -hmm. because it is, okay, let's talk about acting for a second, right? I have jokes. I have some jokes if we want it. Uh, I mean, I've got, I do have a joke as well, but I just want to say with acting, like, part of it is also chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are times in movies where people are emotional or whatever, where I'm like, this is like good acting. Like I can see how distraught they are, mm. but I never felt the chemistry between those two characters. So it feels like unearned almost, yeah. mm-hmm. but their chemistry in this movie is so solid sure, that like, I fully believe that she is devastated and like heartbroken and how difficult it is for him to say these things like how he is clearly thinking about not wanting to do it, but like knowing that he has to, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. All of that is so believable. I mean, every, every single person's reaction from Marita knowing that he should move when she starts talking again, respecting her and also their relationship, the way that Phillips, when Phillips immediately knows what's going to happen, Ugh, the way he just hand signal, it's just, just one it hand signal. Me. Yep. It's just a tap tap point and the two of them walk off without saying anything. And like, you know, again, just the way Marita knows to give the space and like, I, I mean, I'm sure he also knows what's about to happen once he says there's not going to be a safe landing. But the fact that the two of them just are like, yep, it's, we have to give them a moment. Yeah. Give them their time kind of thing. It is just every, like everyone's chemistry in this film as a group and then as two, the two of them especially fully believable and it's like again watching it back and writing this thing i was like oh god oh it's it's getting to me it's rough absolutely it it's an amazing like every time i watch this movie you know i know the story of captain america Mm -hmm. i know he needs to end up in the arctic you know but i'm never ready for it i'm never like Oh, oh, good. This is the scene where Captain America goes in the ice so that he can become an Avenger someday. You know, it's right. it's never right. that. It, it's the, oh, man, you dummy, just land it. <laughs> right. But, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, let's break up the tension a little bit, though. James, I think you have some jokes. Yeah. Um, well, real quick, Seal uh, is what it says on Z-I-E-L is yep. what it says on the mm-hmm. thing, and that is German for target. I confirmed that. Um, Likewise. Go uh, go listen to the uh, episode we recorded with Caitlin for lots and lots of James Translates German. Uh, you know segments. what's funny? Is that I actually, in my notes at some point in here, I said, I'm not looking that up. James will know. <laughs> yep. James, you know, once again, my Duolingo has failed me and not shown me what Target oh. is. I had to look that up on my own. Thanks a lot, Duolingo. Um, is the company Target just called Target in Germany, or do they call it Zeal? <laughs> right. Yes. Ze- That's an actual question. Ze- I mean, I'm being... I don't know. I would imagine just Target, probably. Interesting. All right. They, but, but like to be keen on like, um, I don't know if either of you have experience with this, but like you know, as there was a certain point where my mom always called it Target. Oh yeah, mm. is that yeah? Sure. In Germany, they call it Zeal, 
and the moms are all like zeal and the kids are like mom is this target and so um das ist target das ist target um my joke slash the thing that struck me sort of struck me funny about this uh pretty hilarious scene i would say um is (laughs) the idea of you know because they like the comfort of the scene is the the inside joke that they have about the dance and like you know they're comforting each other through yeah it's not banter but it is sort of like referencing of a of a you know a shared experience i i was i was sort of chuckling um he i'm gonna have to get a rain check for um for that dance and her being like what oh oh right right the dance um yeah and he's like oh okay so you didn't okay that didn't Really I don't think you. it's that. I think it's more of I think she's expecting, you know, so I, I don't know what it is, but like I think it's like being kind of caught off guard by him wanting to be. No, I'm saying she didn't do that. But if she had been oh. like, "What are you talking what, about?" Because I, I thought dance, she was. I thought she was like, uh, maybe I don't know. I I could have sworn that a, part of it is like there's a because there's a pause in there. So I apologize. I think I misunderstood what your joke was. I was like, I think it just took her a second. I just like but, okay. Here's here's another thing that when you were reading the synopsis, if uh, Phillips had been like, you know, hand gesture, let's go, Morita, and Morita been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that yeah. What? Sorry, did you say something? I was. What do you, you want me to go Jones, over here? Jones is on is in my headset saying something. <laughs> what? I was like, oh, like, Jones. Jones, one second. What? What'd you say? Oh, we're leaving. Yeah, okay. she is hot. Bye, Peggy. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, did I say that out loud? Uh, hey, so Carter, uh, you're free now? Or <laughs> I you um, know, I can make the stork club Saturday, you said? Yeah, Saturday? I'm there. Great, great, I'm there. Uh, so I actually, I did write down, I also wrote down a joke, which is that, and I didn't want to put it in the middle of my synopsis mm. because it was like, again, such a somber moment. Sure. But I love that he says, if I wait any longer, then a lot of people are going to die. And there is about a full minute between when he says that and when he actually takes the dive, mm. which I right. like, I understand that maybe he means like, I just have to do it at some point here in this Arctic area, as opposed to the closer I get to New York, yeah. the more dangerous it gets. But the way it sounds like it needs to be immediate. And then he just goes, oh, but I got a second. What are you wearing? You know, <laughs> like it's kind of what that feels like. Um, He's like, anyway, you up? And she's like, what? He's like, of course. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah, you're talking to me already. Anyway. <laughs> he, he, hey, you up? And Marita's like, what? And Peggy's like, oh, oh I got this. I got this. Uh, I got this. Wrong wrong frequency. Not uh, going to be up in the air much longer. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. that's <laughs> true. She, she goes, you up, Steve? Steve? No, but I do I do love the concept, though, that he would go, you up? And Marita goes, what? Oh, sorry, wrong frequency. You hear some radio, and then you up? Still me, Steve. And it's like, shit. <laughs> All right, hang on. I'm having a hard time with... How do I just... I'll just go get her. She's two stations at one second. Just grabs her. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have many jokes, though, about this scene. Like, that's really the only one that I have. Um, yeah. I it mean, is just... Uh, yeah, it's a... It's a I feel like this is one of the more emotional scenes in the MCU. For sure, for sure. It's how, how do you make how do you watch someone you love make a sacrifice and there's literally nothing you can do to to help or save or or yeah. you know, better the situation. Well, and and for me this scene now has so much more weight and impact post Avengers. You know, or, or yeah, because of our not sorry, not Avengers. Post Endgame, the end of Endgame literally 
you know, the movie ends with these two having that dance. Right. You know, or, right. or having one of many dances now that they right. have a life together and they have all the time in the world to just dance in the evenings after dinner, you know, or whatever. Right. It's it means so much to me that that the Russos, you know, knew this movie well enough to to know to do something like that. And Absolutely. and to end a franchise or not not end a franchise, but you know what I mean, end the saga. Uh right. These two dancing like that is such a beautiful, you know, decision. So for sure, I was, for sure. I was thinking about this the other day where, you know, James and I were talking about some music from World War II. Mm. And uh, I think that like for sure, I am stoked that we get the underscoring that we get because it is, again, beautiful. It's very powerful. I mean, like it is it's emotional. It drives that emotion. Um. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching um, the announcement of, I think I mentioned in the last episode, but there's going to be a new uh, video game in uh, 2023 that features Captain America during World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, they were playing music from that time period. And I was like, I can't believe they never played that song in the movie or either of the movies or, or whatever. Or at some point for Captain America, which is the "We'll Meet Again," the Vera Lynn track, like the, the track that we that has come up more on this show than you would ever have predicted I, when I, we started Captain sure. America. <laughs> I think we've mentioned it like what three or four times now. Three, this is at least at least three, possibly four. Yeah, yeah. So, but like it's that thing of I know we've mentioned it before, but it's still one of those things where until I get to the context of this oh. scene, I saw like it's one of the things where I think we mentioned more of just being like, oh, I like music of that era, kind of thing. Sure. But like, this is like a, oh, wow, that, you know, having that song be something that like was on the radio. If there was like another scene of a little while later seeing Peggy coming to terms with things, whatever, and like, again, having to deal with hearing that song or whatever. But like, uh, and that's, still, that's from a future episode. Uh, oh, is it really? It's from, yeah, it's from the uh, Mike episodes that we did. Um, the You're Agent right about what happens right after this. You're we, right. Okay. Just a real quick forward preview, flashback, forward, whatever. Um, we talked <laughs> sure. about some songs that are about uh, people coming home. Right. And I yeah. think this We'll Meet Again is a very good song for if you're feeling the opposite. You're sort of having the opposite situation where it's like, you know, we'll we'll meet again sort of in that like um, – I'll see you when we get there, if we ever get there. Which is, I can't believe that's the that's the track my brain decided to to, to give me. But uh, you know, the, all of those, like you know, that one from Fast and the Furious, and all these things, where it's like, I'll see you again, but not in the way that yeah, people will literally see their right. people coming back from the war. But yeah, but I think the- that this is a good example of sort of the somber kind. That's a good example of sort of the somber kind of song that that uh, you would want for that kind of situation for sure. Right. Uh, but they do. So I, I, the going back to the song that is in the, the the actual soundtrack for this scene from Alan Silvestri is "This Is My Choice," which I I should have looked up what I was referencing, but I know somewhere in the very beginning of 1943, I mentioned this track and how it. I think it has some elements of something. Else, or I think maybe it's that uh, it's during part of a sequence that has Bucky in it. Mm. Um, they use part of the "This Is My Choice," like some of the 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 uh, 
music of that to kind of represent certain things. Um, but like, I just think it's like one of those things where again, themes come back, right? Mm, yep. But this is one of those things where it makes sense for the, this is my choice music to make appearances in things like agent Carter. That's definitely where I mentioned it. Right. Um, they have like a variation of this music when she makes her choice to join the SOE. Yes. That's, that's right. what it is. <laughs> this um, is my choice. Right. But it's like, and I think they kind of allude to it a little bit as well during the music of Farewell to Bucky. There's like certain things that are similar between those tracks. And so I think it's right. a lot about the the highs and lows of these mm. characters that are intertwined. For sure. For sure. Um, but I've also realized that I've accidentally monopolized part of this conversation. So <laughs> uh, Travis, any more thoughts on this scene? Um, yeah, just a little thing. Uh, when he runs up to the, uh, to the cockpit, you know, it's such a small thing, but with, with superhero movies, with comic book movies, you know, when dealing with these costumes, this is a beautiful headpiece removal. He he Mm. takes off Mm. the helmet and it does, they don't have to cut away. You know, he just takes it off. You know, they've done tricks with Batman, you know. Where you know the infamous you know Batman Returns, where he rips it off and suddenly he doesn't have the the eye black. You know yeah, yeah. they mm-hmm. did a cowboy switch with uh, Ben Affleck when he jumps out of the Batmobile, goes up a stairwell. You know, and then there's something in the way, and then he comes. You know that was the stunt actor, and then right. Ben Affleck is is continuing without the cowl. You know things like that. Right. Um, all the Spider-Man movies, oh, yeah. you know, they have yeah. those, those masks are very intricate. It's not just a sock on his head. He can't just pull it right. off, you right. know, but here it's just an easy, like helmet sort of thing that he just slides right off. You know, it's believable right. that he was just wearing it and took it off, took it off. And it didn't take like three assistants to, you know, get him out of it, <laughs> you know? Right. So, exactly. I just appreciate how, honest it is on screen so yeah he does have a very practical suit and i appreciate that tremendously i mean like i think that's one of the reasons why it's funny because i feel like in an interview i want to say maybe like last year or something like that he was talking about how he thought that he had one of the worst outfits like in the avengers and stuff like that Mm. but i think that's interesting because at the end of the day, like part of it is also that like there were probably a lot of people who were on set who didn't have to be in the actual costumes. They were in like motion captures and stuff like that. Right. So they were a little bit more, it might be a little tight, but like they probably weren't like hard to move around in. Meanwhile, he's like, oh, this is, I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, like I'm really kind of struggling. But like, I think that the cap suit looks good in this movie. Oh, it's I great. really like his yeah. outfit. Um, and, it is. I just feel like it is extremely like wartime practical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all of it just looks like era appropriate for one thing, uh, but it also gets rid of some of the camp sure. that they have. Yeah. I mean, that which they you know again they allude to by using it for the USO tour, but like right. they kept true to like I think like kind of making it modernized, but again still within the realm of that era. Right. Right. For him having the helmet and it still has the the wings but it's just sort of like engraved uh, such a good decision the, I, 
Absolutely. Yeah. I hate the the wings that stick out from yeah. his from the classic Same. costume. I hate those little wings. I hate them. Yeah. yeah. I, it looks so bad to me yeah. every time. In, in like in comics or you yeah. know yeah. on live action things, I'm always like it just is so hokey mm-hmm. looking. Right. I've never never been into it. I've never Same. Hmm. What well, oh hokey cuz it's another bird. Did you say hokey loki? No, I hokey didn't looking. say hokey, hokey looking. Hokey looking. Hokey looking. But hokey I thought, Loki I was like, why funny. did he just say it looks so hokey, Loki? I was like, that <laughs> doesn't have any place here. Is that a saying that Colin is secretly trying to work into the? <laughs> that's that's. I'm just I'm just trying to get some branded material going on, you know. <laughs> just trying to you know have a reason for Eric Barton to go stop mentioning my stuff, please. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I I um I just think that like his costuming in this film especially is just like it's bang on and because it's also a practical helmet like it is a Mm -hmm. it's i mean i think that's you know the 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 downside of having those intricate full head helmets you know that you see people wearing like even black panther Mm -hmm. where clearly almost every time it's just cgi'd on sure because like when he at one point puts down the helmet where he puts down an actual helmet on a table the amount of times where I've looked at it like that part and gone, how did that go on your head actually? Mm-hmm. Like, cause like off of his head, it looks too small, you right. know, it's like, it's very weird, but like th- it's the fact that it's like a, a, just a, almost like it's a cap. Yeah. Huh. You know, it just really, the one thing that is very funny to me about that though, is that he comes out of it with like perfect hair. Yeah. Right. Which Makes me laugh anytime any of these heroes step out of a costume, like Spider Man when he does like the 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 hair not, not the hair sorry the 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 rip off of the mask they'll frequently give him like mask hair sure which I think right. is very cute but like everyone else is always like and perfectly right. done as if it was a hermit from a uh, Scrubs you know giving them mm-hmm. plenty of space for their quaffed hair. Did they do hermits in Scrubs too? The they move? did it in Flight of the Concords. Scrubs two on the move. <laughs> was Her- was Her- was Hermits a thing in Scrubs? It's in one episode where he comes in wearing a helmet that's like really tall, yeah. and they're like, "What's up with that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's my Hermit or something like that he or maybe it's a hair helmet or something." But like he calls it something, and he right. goes, "This way I can ride my moped because that's what all he can drive." And goes and keep my perfectly done hair. Because you know right. Zach Braff was all about having bedhead, but professional, not what you actually slept in. Oh, 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 oh. right! It's a big helmet. Helmet, yes. Yeah, so, in so uh, in Flight of the Concords, it's a helmet meant to look like hair. <laughs> ah, gotcha. No, 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 not that. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I I have to agree, Travis. Though, like that is such a perfect like. It doesn't make a sound, but like it almost feels like it's like a. Yeah. <laughs> and just like perfect, like, ah, yes. And now I rest my weary helmet. Well, and then you can get into the whole symbolism of like, what does it mean for him to be removing this piece of protection? He's like, he's, it's a sort of fatalist, like, vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't need it, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 I kept, <sighs> I kept, like, one of the conceits of our show is that. You know, if you have, for example, just for example, some sort of uh, 
beginning and end that take place in the future and then this is in the past just for example for this movie let's just say if that was the case um that the events of the of the of the 1945 can stand as they are and then we when we get to whenever let's just pick a, a date at random 2011 that <laughs> the other things might take place hypothetically they can be you can experience it as as people experienced it at the time in the 40s so that's the conceit and yet and yet, what I kept doing was, don't put your shield down over there. Don't put your locket up there. When you crash into the water, you're going to lose that locket forever when they pull you back up, not, immediately forgetting that he's, for him, he's making this sacrifice. He doesn't need to, like, retain his items, you know. Right, yeah. Like, it's so hard to like i want to be watching this with the eyes of like he's making a sacrifice Mm -hmm. and it's so hard for me to be like yeah you know cap you know from the future this guy (laughs) (laughs) well you know what's also funny about that though is that he does still keep the compass yeah because he still has it with him in future movies yeah well i mean shield is nothing if not thorough yeah that's true they 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 comb the ground. You know, if Titanic, the MCU movie Titanic has taught us anything, um, it is that yeah, is Titanic that somehow and Captain America are basically connected? the same movie. Yeah. Right. Um, that's all I'm saying. There was so, room on the Tesseract for them both. That's kind of what where my notes kind of go to, you know, next is like, let's talk about putting it in the water. Like, is there no other option? Right. Can he you know? not? Can you know, he not okay. like land? I'm mean, not not land it, but bring it down, crash land it, but not like nose down into the right. the ice. Why does he have to destroy this plane? I think it's two instead things. of disable it. I think that although he was able to push it down, I'm not certain that he could like move it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that it was on a collision yeah. course. I don't think he has the side to side, but right. I, yeah, I just because wonder if Because the way he... he makes that decision feels like, I mean, he does sit down and he pushes and looks at a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like he must have, I mean, does he, I don't, okay, you know what? I'm going to go look at it. Because he, he almost lands it anyway, because it lands kind of like half in, half out. If he just sort of, at the end, just sort of pulled back a little bit. And just set it down. He could have escaped, given his well, coordinates, and then it would have sunk into the sea. He's also. I. Yeah. I think that he was assuming that it was going to maybe explode upon impact. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a lot oh, more yeah. flamboyant than it was. I also I mean, wonder what what was Red Skull's plan with this because the the bombs that he sees, the six bombs that are still active, those are like the little gyro planes right. that were flying around right. earlier, right? That's what those are. So they but they act as propellers for the plane as well as separate the bomb itself for the bombs. So right. it's it's like a hybrid tesseract and these propeller bomb planes and then I like to think that the propeller bomb planes it like offset their own weight with their with their propellers. So when they got rid of it doesn't you don't lose speed or power or anything it's just now more run by the tesseract than the propellers to answer some questions about why he couldn't do it in another way so uh right before they fight um he uh they put the thing into autopilot mm-hmm. 
uh, and then they begin to uh, to fight. But I believe that the machine gets damaged um, when they end up hitting the Tesseract and yeah. all the power gets re- released. I believe that what happens is that it is set for autopilot, and because he can't stop it, it's going to crash. Okay. Like, I think it was the, the the Valkyrie itself was not designed to explode. Right. And be a bomb. But I believe what's happening is that because it cannot be stopped anymore, that means that the destination that's been selected right. is going to be where it goes down. And that, that's a big part of it. He has to end up in the water, you know? Right. right. So, we, you know, you can't have... Right. I mean, yeah. he didn't get trained on fly. He, you know, he's sure. not a pilot. Right. He's not. In the he Air can Force push it forward, and he knows that goes make plane go down now, and yeah. then that's it. Like I think that's the other thing is like for what happens in the next scene with him looking for the ship and some of that. Right. They're able to track the energy source, but yeah, it's not in the plane. Right. So I think what happens by it sinking, right, and yeah. it's showing basically the snow engulfing it. Yeah. I think basically what's happening is, is it's saying like it is basically the earth pulling it down and in. And right. so there's like no trace of it. So by the time they get, cause you know, they're, they're searching, there's no way for them to search every single place yeah. all at once. So I think it's the idea of by the time they get there, it's like, if you walk on the beach, by the time you get there, the tide has come in and washed it away. I think it was lost, but it may have been something else where it was like, we went off course hours before the plane crashed yeah right so Correct. they don't they're looking in the wrong place and I, mm-hmm. I think that if you're like you know it got knocked off course it was you know not where we thought it was then yeah. the trajectory or whatever we looked in you know you can be a hundred you know 300 miles off course and not see the thing yeah because i i mean that is a little bit of what happens too right is, is that when they're fighting it's in autopilot yeah but then at one point one of the things the red skull does is he turns it off of autopilot and like shifts the plane literally to cause cap to like mm, fly right, through the yeah. air. And like, so the ship, I think again, through all of these interactions and stuff, I think the ship is moving around and, you know, doing things. Cause at some, at one point he's even drive flying it by himself. They know kind of where it's headed, but I think that depending on what happens, it could be off course and it's right. trying to get back to its initial flight plan. But if right. it's not in that straight line from the Alps to to New York, they have yeah. no clue how far off it's gone um, and why he yeah. puts it in. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think I think we're all in agreement here that uh, Steve stayed in the plane because he was embarrassed because he'd already said his cool line and then <laughs> didn't end up the way he thought it would. So he was just it was sort of more of like a pride thing than a. Than anything else, I think we. I agree. I agree with all, oh. with both of you about that. This is interesting. So they uh, Colin was on to something else. Yeah. Nothing. You're doing great. No, no, what are you no. saying? I just I found something else that uh, immediately after. Uh, so it's just that they another article uh, writes that the plane's control stick responds when Steve tries to pilot it, but as soon as he releases it, the plane corrects its trajectory towards New York. Hmm. So I think it's that like. He can he kind of manually, I think he has to yeah. push it. Because um, it says none of the switches on board work either uh, as the plane is is damaged and he has no time for complex strategies. Yeah. It's locked on autopilot so it can't be hijacked. So I think it's like he's trying his best, but like he has to physically maintain it the entire time. And it's just, 
again, if you're not a pilot, right? sure, you could get Howard on the line, but by the time Howard's on the line and you teach me how to drop it, it's no longer in the Arctic and in a safe space. Right. And maybe if he tried to level it off, it would have then begun to pick, you know, lift back up. Like you had to like, yeah, crash it, yeah. crash it, so that it wouldn't do that. Okay. Listen, I think that it is uh, a great and believable scene, and <laughs> and great. <laughs> I, I I don't know if Travis was going to say this, and then and then decided not to. But like, it sort of felt like a callback to the tesseract falling through the plane, like sort of melting through the layers, and then and the mm. plane sort of melts. Through yeah. The what if they didn't show that? What if they, you know, I don't want to step on. Right. And then they don't show or they don't show the plane going in. They just so they just show like Howard flying over and it's just like, you know, nothing. Hmm. But then we zoom in and we see like so that we know that was where the plane landed. But we know that the plane also went beneath the surface and they can't find it or something. I think the shot of the plane kind of sinking below the ice is more meant to take us back to the beginning of the movie when they find right. the plane. Yes. Right. You know, kind of sticking out of the ice. And I think that's right. really what it's mostly meant to do. So Travis, anything else that you got for this scene or any other thoughts or questions, concerns? I, I love how uh, we see Phillips just kind of waiting. He, you mentioned in the recap, Mm-hmm. You know, just waiting kind of in the hallway. He didn't want to be in her way for yep. any of this, but he wanted to know kind of what happened. So I I, I love that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a beautiful scene, and it's a great movie. So For sure. Yeah. I think that's all about, about all I have. Do you think that, like, you know, when he walks off, how hard do you think he takes this? I think pretty hard, given... You know, when he first meets Steve Rogers, he's this skinny, you know, 98-pound weakling, you know, yeah. who's just in his way. He, he's just a cute trick that, that Erskine is trying to, you know, get right. get through. And then when he goes through the program and is the only one, he's so disappointed and he's so mean about right. it. <laughs> You know, and then once he sees what he can do, what he he sees what Steve can do, and sees the the inspiration he can, uh, yes, yeah. sees yeah. what he can accomplish. You know, and finally realizes his his value. Yeah, I think he becomes uh, a big fan of Steve. So it is. I'm glad they included his little moment here, you know? Yeah, for sure. From gerbil to friend. Yeah. It's funny because uh, I don't think that, I think that the grenade moment was a big Mm. win for both Erskine and Carter. And I think that, I don't think it was this moment, but it was somewhere much later that Phillips was finally like, all right, like Phillips is sort of like, okay, yeah, the grenade thing. He's still too skinny. I'm not entirely on board with this, but I see how I'm overruled because of, you know, right. indicates grenade. But like, this is sort of like the period at the end of the sentence, the next sentence where it's like, and just in case the grenade thing wasn't big enough, he's actually going to literally make like, this isn't like a dummy plane. 
this is an actual plane that he's throwing himself on top of. Or, yeah. You know, you know, something this is like similar. the payoff to that. Yeah. 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 Where he goes, it wasn't like, it wasn't like not an act, but it's like, it's, right. it's not a fluke. This is right. who he is. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. Shall we get out of here? Shall we toss? Yeah. Some, let's, some, yeah. let's put the plane down. Hey, Travis, in order to get uh, out of here, what the code that we need to put into the autopilot is you telling us about uh, one or both of your shows and giving us sort of a recommendation. So I did a crazy project a couple of years ago. It was called Watchmen Minute, where we went through all 186 episodes of Zack Snyder's Watchmen, one minute at a time. So that is complete. You can find it. Yeah. Uh, Watchmen Minute, yep, you can find it it, pretty much anywhere. Um, Then I do uh, Real Comic Heroes, that's real with two E's, and that is my uh, comic book movie review podcast where we started with Superman and the Mole Men from uh, 1951, yeah, and are working towards the present in another project that will never end, uh, you know, covering comic book movies, so... As Perfect. of this recording, we've recorded uh, uh, most recently was uh, Spawn and Steel. Wow. So definitely check those out because those were a lot of fun, actually. And James uh, very happy. Yeah. Very cool. I, yeah. It's funny. I was trying to predict what I thought you were going to say for like where you were. Hmm. And then I did another mini prediction when you said spawn and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and you said steel. And I was like, nope, never had that. Didn't have that either one of them. So <laughs> very exciting. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Travis. On My pleasure. These kind of, we gave you kind of a big plate to, to, yeah. uh, to dig into. Um, for sure. But you did great and uh, we loved having you. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, and that's going to do it for uh, this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I am James Anderson. I'm Colin Parker. I'm Travis Bowe. Excelsior. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.